This is Geek Gab with your host, Dornall and me, Daddy Warpig. We are back, Geek Gab, for Saturday, August 21st, 2021. Dornall, how was your week? Hey, man. It's been a good week. I can't say... I can't say anything new or, or crazy has happened. Just enjoying the end of summer here. The the sun, we all got tired of the sun's crap, so he went away. And we're, we're back in clouded Seattle. And uh, just been enjoying the cool weather and uh, working from home. How about it's, you? It's, it's cloudy out here, too. It, it's cloudy in Utah, in the middle of the desert. It's cloudy. That's unusual. <laughs> it shocked me. It shocked me. I'm telling you what. And it got cold all of a sudden. Last week, I was hot and sweaty all night. And then last night, I was kept up because it was cold. I just hey, kept when... on... When I was told that we were going to deal with climate change, I didn't think they met meant every three weeks. Yeah. It was just nuts out here. Uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm sick of being hot one week. I'm sick of being cold the next. I'm not lying. Someday when I'm rich and famous, I am moving to some place where it's warm all the time. You're you're I famous just, with us, DW. We just, just want to be don't warm. Have anyone to give you. So, uh, I uh, our guest this week has only been able to lay out an hour. So instead of wasting tons of time, uh, I'm going to waste like a minute. Um, I watched a movie this week called Blood Red Sky. Uh, it was on Netflix. It's got a uh, off-brand or a discount Naomi Rapace in it. Uh, in that, literally, for the first 10 minutes of the movie, I thought it was Naomi Rapace in the main actress's spot, and it was not. Uh, and other people have told me they spent, like, the entire movie thinking it was her, and it wasn't. But... Uh, it was uh, an interesting movie. It was a fun movie. Um, and I would recommend it. I'm not going to give away anything else. Uh, but that's my review. I watched it. I spent two hours enjoying it. Uh, I recommend, you know, if you have Netflix and you're wondering if it's worth watching, I thought it was worth watching. I saw it. I liked it. Uh I've got only one smart-ass question for sure. you. Do they play Sunday Bloody Sunday by you 2 in the film? No. All right, just checking. You know the line. You're listening to it in your head now. I've done my work. But uh, that's it. That's what I saw this week. That's what I reviewed this week. Of course, they had the second episode of Marvel's What If come out, and I haven't watched it yet. Uh, because it's not time that I have to do the review of that so I can put that off for a few weeks, uh, maybe six to eight weeks. <laughs> but uh, 
our guest has a very limited amount of time. So instead of wasting all the time uh, talking about other stuff, because I don't think I watched anything I have to review this week. Save it up. So let's uh, let's introduce our guest. Hey, Go for it. it's it's awesome to have you back, Mr. Wargaming. Welcome back to the show. Thank you very much for having me. It's always a pleasure. Um, last time, last time we had you on, we were talking about Hollywood and and creative stuff. But now we're going to talk about wargaming and, and everything. And I just wanted to say it was a this year and a month ago, by the way. Are you kidding me? No. Holy cow! Last year was wild. Doesn't even count, does it? <laughs> well, well, I, it I, I just something. I, I just wanted to say, um, I've been plugging your channel, Joy of Wargaming, for the past couple of weeks, and um, you've done some really cool stuff on RPGs, which is sort of my uh, where my interest lies. And you've just recently hit a thousand subscribers, so uh, congratulations on on the hard work and blowing up with that. And, and you okay. should uh, you should point out that uh, that he is back by audience demand. Uh, That's right. The audience. I'm telling you, I got the best fans in the world. Can, can we let's bring everyone up to speed? For those who don't know, my real name is John Mollison. I've appeared twice on the show before, pushing the books that I have written. And over the last year, I've segued from being a a full time, you know, part time writer to being a full time content creator on the uses and the tubeses with a thrust on uh, introducing people to the uh, smaller niche corners of the wargaming world. Uh, and it's it's great. I, I noticed that within a few episodes, you immediately started working on stuff that makes sense. Your, you know, production values are pretty good. You actually you actually edit your show, which is something we don't do here on the Geek Ad. This is raw and unfiltered. Live. Right here. Live. This is the real deal right here. Yep. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we I I the audience had to have you back on because we've been doing nonstop bro SR talk for the last couple of weeks. So I'd love to get your perspective on that and 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 what you're doing with the show and how uh, your wargaming work ties into all that. Who it, um, it it all dovetails, right? The 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 the, guy, the way you guys run things, the, the geek gab itself, the, all of this stuff is related. The the media that we consume, we feed back into the table, and the the content that we we consume at the table feeds back into the media. You know, we see that cycle going where, you know, uh, the, the the old pulp authors and even guys like uh, like Tolkien created this this the western understanding of fantasy that created these movies and you know the uh the, the whether it's the sword and sandal epics or whatnot and then those influence the games and now you see i think they're making another um another theatrical release of a dungeons and dragons ip movie so you know it's all just it, it all just feeds back in on itself Holy and cow. uh you know it's it's the the so the channel is it's called the joy of wargaming and the initial idea was hey why don't i just do the joy of painting except i'll paint miniatures and it just kind of mushroomed from there because when you look around youtube in the miniature wargaming world there is you've got this this huge sprawling hobby that touches on 
every single conflict known to mankind and lots of them that are unknown. And so, I mean, everything from cavemen hunting dinosaurs to clubbing each other all the way up to far flung futures where, you know, that are, that are grim, dark or, or peaceful and hopeful and every single era and phase of, of, of history in between. And then 98% of the content is Marvel Disney games workshop. And I repeatedly, one of the reasons I started the channel is because I repeatedly went on YouTube to find out about a quirky little niche product. And there was nothing there. Fun games, great games. They just don't have a huge audience, but there was nothing. And I found myself uh, looking around going, man, why don't any of these jerks make content that I can that I can watch? And I said it in the mirror one day and I realized I was talking to myself. I'm one of those jerks. I could be making that content. So why not? So I fired up the cell phone. And if anybody out there enjoys these things and you've got something to share, literally, I have a cell phone and a tripod. And I just used for about the first year I used the the windows, whatever video editing came with windows itself. You don't need much. And you just now it's a little bit tricky because logistically you got to think about this. What are you doing? On the one hand, you are playing a very, very complicated game. There's a lot to remember, a lot of rules, and that can take 100 percent of your concentration. The second thing that you're doing is you're dealing with the production where I where am I setting the camera? Is my sound OK? You know, can the guy see is everything in focus that you've got all of that going on? And that takes 100 percent of your concentration. Then you have to be able to speak engagingly about what's going on and kind of tie it into the world and, and, you know, engage your viewer and bring them in. And that takes 100 percent of your concentration. So essentially what I'm saying is that these videos I'm running at 300 percent capacity the whole time. And then I just kind of do a crash in the next day is when we edit it. Uh, but that's not to say that you can't do that either. Right. A lot of guys, they just. They just they, they'll film their game and then they just do a little voiceover about what happened during the game. They they speed up the footage. There's, so there's a lot of, of possibility there. If it's something you love, don't be afraid to share it with other people, because as we've seen, a lot of your guests over the last couple of years have been people that looked around the literary world and said, man, I don't see anything I like here. All right. You know, they, they hitch up their pants and say, I guess it's up to me. And that's essentially what's going on with the joy of war game. So it, it that's fascinating. It it started as just let's paint or let's play. Yeah. And and what uh, and uh, full disclosure, I have not watched much of your let's play. I I uh, when I get a, a notification, I check to see if it's a how to win at RPGs uh, video before clicking. Um, what like what else has it grown into? Like, do you just do plays of of different? games in different scenarios or uh, what's the percentage of painting videos for example i honestly i haven't done one in a long time uh i'm a little overdue a couple of people have asked me for more and and I, part of what's going on here is that there's I, I should point out my channel is really meant for a more mature wargaming audience and i don't just mean that they can get into r-rated movies there is a wealth of content on youtube some of it's very good there's a lot of luminaries out there and they spend a lot of time introducing the hobby to people which is very smart right from from a from a from a numbers perspective if you want to have a huge channel talk about the huge games and talk to people who are just getting into the hobby because you're you're at one end of the bell curve and you're capturing the entire rest of the bell curve 
It really maximizes your audience. I don't do that. I talk to guys that have been doing this for a while. And I talk to the guys who aren't just interested in one particular game. Oh, I'm a 40K gamer. Well, I don't talk to those guys. I talk to guys who are into the hobby in general. And so there's a lot of different bases to cover. And there's a lot of different aspects to the hobby. It really is a hobby for the modern day renaissance man. Because you have to be literate. You have to be able to read. You have to be numerically literate as well. You got to be able to run the numbers. You have to be able to juggle them in your head. You have to have tactically sound. You have to... You have to have the ability to absorb lots of information at one time. You have to be very empathetic to be an effective gamer. And this is across the board for any game you're playing, whether it's D&D or miniature war games or even a board game. You got to be able to get into the head of the guy across the table from you. So you do need a well-developed sense of empathy. And with the miniature war gaming, you need to be able to do that crafty, hands-on, you know, good with your fingers. And, and you have to have an artistic bent. So it's definitely not a hobby for everyone. It's a hobby for a very unique kind of person who has a very eclectic blend of skills and talents. And so my channel is largely for those people. And I, you know, what I'm trying to say is that the, the, my loyal viewers, the guys that fill up the con, the, the, the chat, I mean, you guys know this, uh, they're, they're just better than most people. I, I don't know how to put it other than that, but except that I remember a time yeah, and do you remember? I, and I don't think it was that long ago where, whenever you were doing something miserable, you would think, "Man, this is awful." I'd rather be reading YouTube comments because it was such a wasteland. But when I look at the comment section of of my videos, when I when I read the, and I'm not following the live chat right now, but I know those guys are going bonkers in there, and I know they've got all kinds of stuff. I'm gonna go back and read it afterwards. I promise. I just it's too much for me to handle. You guys are too smart for me. Um, there's a lot of bases to cover. And so the, the, the dedicated viewers, and like I said, the dedicated viewers, they like that broad coverage that I'm bringing to the table. And if you're only coming for one of the courses at the Wargaming Buffet, that's great too, because there's a lot of things that just aren't getting talked about that deserve to be talked about. And that's where Mr. Wargaming steps up to the plate and says, yeah, let's go ahead and talk about this. And like you said, the how to win at RPGs, the very idea that you can win at RPGs is alien to a lot of people. And once they've watched a couple of three videos, they go, oh, yeah, you know what? This is a this is a hobby. It's a pastime that I can dedicate myself to. I can improve at this hobby. And it's a little weird because all of the. Hey, here's an introduction to the hobby. Hey. Here's all of the advice that I can help you get better at the hobby. A lot of it is caked with validation. But, you know, it doesn't really matter. You just do you. And I don't actually provide that for people. Yeah, it yeah. matters. You know, you need to put your and maybe not always, but do the best you can with what you got right now and always look for ways to get better at what you're doing. And, you know, it, it, a lot of people will say these hobbies that we have are just a waste of time. And I disagree. Because these hobbies are a way to practice life without the real stakes. It's just like any and game. Exactly, right? If someone is playing Monopoly and, and they're, they're dipping into the bank and they're, they're taking money out, if you're playing Monopoly with a guy like that, don't loan him any money. You, you know, If you're doing business with a guy that does at the Monopoly table, you, you might want to audit his books. I'm just saying, the way people play these games is the way they do everything. So it, you know, it, it really does help you become a better person if you're focused on making that part of the purpose of the game. 
Well, you know, I'm going to have to go back and and interview all of my old gaming buddies and, and ask them what I'm like in real life based on my gaming habits. Now I want to know. Well, that, well, a valuable exercise. But I mean, just this is the kind of thing that we as a social animal are programmed to do. When you find guys that you can game with, when you're on the same wavelength, it doesn't stop with gaming, right? You want to do other things with those guys. And when somebody sits down, hey, we got an open seat, and he sits down and plays, and you just don't have a good vibe with the guy, you know, maybe it's not even he's doing anything wrong. He's just not doing it the way you do it. You got to move on, and that, and that's fine. It's it's a big world. It's a big hobby. There's room for the guys doing the bro SR. There's room for guys playing the rules as written, and there's room for people playing lesser versions of the game. <laughs> I love that you said that lesser versions of the game. I I want to talk about that a little bit because. I think that the way the Bro SR and Jeffro communicate and 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 approach the problem and and explain their discoveries really turns a lot of those people off. It's my personal opinion that that's mostly those people projecting or or they don't like the reflection in the mirror that they see. But uh, we saw that this past week with. Uh, RPG pundit, uh, once again, uh, griping about, uh, you know, Jeff Rose attitude. And that was and, a great and, thread. And, oh, that was a, it was a great thread, um, on Twitter. If, if you still use that horrible site. So I guess what I want to know is, uh, because the way you've communicated it differently through the joy of Wargaming uh, channel, I think is, a great way for people to think about it. Uh, in fact, you just said like, hey, this is a thing at which you can improve. And I'm gonna go on an aside for a second. I was just reading um, the player's handbook last night, and I wanna say page 107, page 107. And, and for those who don't know, this is Gary Gygax's like, Magnum Opus is the Dungeon Master's Guide. And the Player's Handbook is an excellent book. It's just really hard to find anything in it. But uh, there's a whole column dedicated, sorry, a page and a half dedicated to being good at the game. Just as you say, like these are these are habits that good players have. Uh, this is how you should prepare for each session. And the better players are going to do this, you know, keep those guys around, talk to those guys. Right. And that's the same thing that you express in your, in your series. Like this is something that these are skills that you can develop and this is something that you can be good at. So I guess, I guess I'm rambling at this point, but when you have that idea and you encounter people who uh, react so strangely to it or so poorly to it, I guess what's, what's your take on that? Uh, as far as dealing with uh, the people who just can't handle the fact that some people play D&D a different way. There's, every time you engage in any social activity, of which games are one, there is a game that exists beneath the game. And that's actually in a lot of ways more important than the rule book. It, it, it's the game of, of life and social interaction. And the people that are very good at that game are, are adept at using that game beneath the game to influence the actual game at the table itself. 
And, and that can be a problem when their motivation is self-aggrandizement because they'll use the social game to change the, the codified game. And, and you can see this in all walks of life, right? There's, there's the rules of the United States of America, the Constitution. But if you're good at the game beneath the game, then you can argue that the most important thing is that we're having fun and the Constitution doesn't really matter. And that gets dangerous. And it's both dangerous at the political level and at the gaming table level. And one of the things that frustrates these people is that the bro SR guys are really good at the game beneath the game. And, and that's largely thanks to a couple of key players. I'm not going to call them out because they don't need the hassle, but who have kind of informed me, hey, look, you know, you need to get good at that game beneath the game. You need to be better at advocating for the game itself in a way that, that will draw people in and engage them more than simply, well, as long as you're having fun. And it's, it's very odd because it's one of the few hobbies where this is true. The, one of the other hobbies that I have is distance running. And, you know, I do a marathon every December and it's a, it's a great hobby because I will line up at the starting line with guys that are running two hour marathons and I'm a five hour guy. Right. So when I say line up at the marathon, they're way up at the starting line and I'm way off in the back. And the, the goal is to always push yourself and go, you know, as hard and as fast as you can. And people don't have a problem with that. Right. You can get better. There's numbers and people don't have a problem with that. And you can actually participate on the same playing field as these elite level guys. And when the elite level guys give advice in distance running, nobody has a problem with it, right? And honestly, whenever these elite level guys see us out there, do you honestly think they're sneering at us for pretending to do the same hobby as them? Of course not. They don't even think about us. And, and it's the same thing at the gaming table goes on where generally the guys that are gaming at an elite level, they're not overly concerned with people that are playing lesser versions of the game. And again, there's no judgment here, right? The, the guy that does a two-hour marathon is not necessarily a better person than a, than a duffer like me. But he is doing that activity at an elite level. It's possible. And I honestly don't... And there's, there's something weird with this hobby because when you've got a, a, a physical, measurable... Look, the time to start, time to finish on the race course, it is what it is. There's no debate. But when you've got something like role-playing games where there is a somewhat arbitrary definition of whether you're winning or not, it becomes a lot easier to use the game beneath the game to argue that the game itself doesn't matter, as dangerous as that is. So, and, and I haven't quite wrapped my head around the, the psychology of it, except that anytime you've got a commercial endeavor, the grifters are going to come in. And it's the difference between talking to someone who is trying to make you healthy and that's what the bro SR does. Look, you can game healthy versus someone that wants to sell you a supplement. Hey, you don't need to change your lifestyle. Just keep taking these pills. And that's the fundamental difference here is that the bro SR is helping people change their gaming lifestyle and adopt healthier attitudes towards gaming at the table with an eye towards becoming better at the game. Whereas most of the people that are pushing product are literally just pushing for ways to keep you on the treadmill of you know, it feels like something's missing. Ah, you know, I feel like I could, this could be better. Well, it can be. And, and you don't need anything that's not already in your collection. It's just those three little books. It's just, you know, the wisdom is there 
And you, you, people laugh They're like, well, you know, it, it, it shouldn't be this hard. And Gygax wrote hard, but it's the, the, the parallel is the Bible, right? It's one book, but it's got everything you need. But people fight about it and people want to pick and choose. Well, we don't need to pay attention to this passage because it's really hard. Well, maybe the hard parts are the parts you need to pay more attention to. Maybe they have more to say and maybe they can help you. You know, if you just push through that barrier, maybe they'll help you become a better gamer and hopefully become a better person. Okay, you gave me three different threads to pull on there, and I, I'm I'm going to start with the one in the furthest in time, which is I thought it was really uh, interesting that you talked about the game beneath the game and how people uh, do that. So. Oh no, I'm losing it. I'm losing my question. What? So I guess I would like to characterize, recharacterize what you say the Broasar is about by saying it doesn't matter which game you're playing, or or not so much that, but you can enjoy RPGs and win at RPGs regardless of the particular product that you're using. In fact. I certain Broasar people might even encourage specific products. Like right now, right now, Jeff Rose 100% AD&D. Like just play first edition, you're good. Um, other people might say, yeah, but I I enjoy doing this with Axe or old, old school D&D or something like that. Um, I would shoot, I would even try it with fifth edition myself. But uh, is that a fair characterization? It, it is. There, there, there's two camps. One is AD&D is all you need, and the other is. Well, but, you know, that, uh, that, that's a very purist interpretation. And, and I, I'm agnostic on the issue, I'll, but I will say this. When you sit down to play a game, there is an unspoken agreement that we're going to play, and it doesn't matter what it is, game X. The first person that says, okay, we're playing game X, but, well, hold on now. You 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 got to be very careful because once you start throwing butts in and you start changing rules around, let's take again a, a, an example everyone's familiar with. Hey, we're playing Monopoly. Are you using free parking? Because tables that use free parking, did for those that don't know, any money that goes to the bank goes into the into the kitty. And if you land on free parking, you get all that money, so it keeps you in the game longer. That's a very different game. And if you sit down and say, we're playing the free parking version, when someone lands on free parking, you don't give them the money, they are entitled to say, this is not the game I signed up for. And with a short rule, I mean, the rules for Monopoly fit on the inside of the box. It's very easy to call that out. But with a game like D&D, where, and even 5th edition, where the, the, the universal rule book is, what is it, 128 pages, or is it up to 250 now? Oh, it's huge. Yeah, There's 250 pages worth of rules. And I say, when I sit down and say, okay, this is the rule set we're using, the game beneath the game is where somebody says, yeah, generally speaking, this is the rules we're using, except that the very first rule is that none of the rest of the book matters. And whatever I want to happen, and generally it's the person behind the DM screen, he says, but whatever I, whenever I want to deviate from those rules, that's fine. Okay, well, now that's a very different game. And the people who ascribe to that game, the rules don't matter. You know, we're just kind of, they're very good at explaining why, well, if there's one rule that we're not paying attention to, then we don't have to pay attention to any of the rules. 
And so as a player, my response is great. My fighter has a strength of 25. Well, no, you can't do that because you roll 3d6 to determine your strength. Yeah, but the rules don't matter. And so then <laughs> what you're doing is you've shifted to where the, the guy behind the screen, the DM, is playing whatever game he wants. And the rest of us on the other side of the screen are constantly trying to guess what game we're actually playing. And that's one of the things that, that gets glossed over so often is that once you start ejecting rules arbitrarily, you're no longer playing the game that you thought you were. And, and again, one of the reasons I'm agnostic on this is because that's fine if that's what you're doing. But I really need to game with people who tell me the truth. If you're going to lie to me about things, and, and this is part of the game within a game. If you and I sit down and, and you're telling me we're going to do X, but you're really doing Y, then you as a person are lying to me. And if I can't trust you, then I don't know how I can sit across a game screen from you. Right. And that's where I start calling people out for you said we were doing X until it wasn't convenient for you. And then we stop. Well, so you lied to me and, and now forget the game. Don't lie to me. And, and that's where I get a little frustrated as people say, yeah, I'm playing D&D. We've got these eight stats. All right. So you're playing a heavily house ruled version of D&D that owes very little to either the roots or the current paradigm. Right. Does that add a little more context and understanding? Uh, it does. Uh, in fact, I don't know about anybody else, but it's it, it's uh, triggered my past traumas. The most uh, the worst games and the most toxic uh, environments I've been in at the gaming table, uh, real or virtual, are those environments in which the dungeon master really took that to heart and just. And it's one thing. Well, let, let me give you let me give you a a sanitized example. Uh, Dungeon Master during the game expresses displeasure at the way a certain scenario plays out. They're like, yeah, you know, that's that's how this that's how this class works. That's how this thing works. And so in between sessions, he's thinking, you know what, this whole this whole thing, this rule doesn't really seem realistic or or good or fun to me. Um, what if we, you know, what if we rejigged the rules and then, you know you know, your reaction can go from one or two ways. You can discuss the rule change on its merits. Like, hmm, yeah, short rests in fifth edition are too powerful. Maybe uh, maybe it's fine if, if we get less value out of that, that sort of thing. On the other hand, my other reaction was, but I like d and I like fifth edition. That game is fun. Can we just play that? Exactly. Yeah, uh, which is which is weird. Um, I and I think maybe maybe it took me too many years to get to this point. But I think if you find yourself in that sort of situation, it's not you. It's not the rules. It is in fact the game master. If the game master is not having fun, something needs to change. If if it's not the right game, find a different game. Um, uh, but I have actually or seen step out. Or step out from behind the screen. You know, if, if, if you think short rests, to continue that example, are too powerful, you've got two op you've, you've got three options. The option we discussed, hey, we're just not going to use them anymore. I'm the, I'm the king. I decided they're out the window. That's one option, which should alienate your players who sat down at the table and understanding that you were playing D&D. The other option is to get good. Oh, your players are just running roughshod over your, over, over, 
the plans of your NPCs because they keep taking these short rests all the time. What can you do as a player, right? We're all playing the same game. What is your counter to their short rests? You have unlimited resources. Don't let them take a rest. Yeah. Throw another orc patrol at them. Okay, so you're going to rest for 10 minutes, eight minutes in, another orc patrol shows up, right? And you you teach them. And that's one of the things that that the the, the guys, and bear in mind, one of my private DM groups, these are like literal power lifters. Like I don't play D&D with them because I don't have, a, a, my, my bench press is too low. I think that like <laughs> 250 is the buy-in, right? And these are the guys that when they sit down, they're like, I want to see the DM sweat. I want him to hear the, the I, I, what was the one quote that one of the guys said? I want him to hear the, is it the grave digger? Is that a, a, a professional wrestler? He wants to hear that music when I sit oh, down. Oh, the Undertaker's the music when I sit down. The under, yeah. Yeah, yes. right. He wants, what, like when I sit down in, in gym shorts and a t-shirt, he wants to see a guy, you know, smoke billowing behind me. And he wants to know that he's got to elevate his game. That's and that's the the way that the people who truly enjoy the real game approach challenges thrown at them by other players, whether it's DM or other you know people running characters. Um, so those are really the two options that you have, or, or the third is you just roll with it. All right, these guys are cakewalking over all my NPCs. That's fine too. You know, it's it's not like anybody ever complained that GI Joe always busted up Cobra's plans. Uh, that's my personal perspective. That's how, how I handle it. Yeah, that's how I handle it. I'm like, yep, sounds good. Yeah. Guess, guess, guess I'll have to uh, work it anyway. We we could uh, we could spend all day on anecdotes. Let me just say, if if you if you encounter a GM who thinks quote unquote story or whatever is more important than everybody being on the same page and being in the oh. same frame of mind, just that's because, run. that circles back around to what Daddy Warpig taught me about these things. The story is not a thing that you're you're building together. You you're just rolling dice and stuff happens. And you know, you're you have you got a, a cup full of knuckle bones that you dump on the table, and then after you've dumped it out, you kind of finger through them and go, What does this mean? What does that mean? What does that really mean? And that it's after you've you've closed the books, now you have a story. If you put the story first, you're putting the horse before. Wait, you're putting the cart before the horse. Let me make sure I don't mix that metaphor. The story comes later, and a lot of times it's back rationalizations. And you'll see this on the videos I do and the joy of wargaming, where I get to the end and I go, "Wait, what just happened? How do I put that in context that will lead me to the next step?" Right? Why did you know you're rolling a dice for a guy climbing a wall and he's got help and he falls anyway? And it's like, why did he do that? What's the what just happened? This was, you know, I, I, I rolled a, a fumble. Oh, I guess he just didn't have his Wheaties that day. Or I guess he, you know, he, he I, I don't know. He's afraid of dogs or and you'll see the patterns develop. It, even just a miniature war game where you've got four key stats. You'll see a guy that just like mows through orcs like nothing doing. And then one kobold will show up and gut him. And you're like, oh, I guess that guy's parents were killed by kobolds and he was terrified of them. The story <laughs> comes later. And that's one of the other valuable things that the Bro SR has provided is, you know, you, you, you set up the dominoes and then you knock them over. And then you see what kind of patterns develop from that. And that's perfectly viable. I, you know, if you have a story you want to tell, just tell it. You know, Amazon makes it easy. Write your book, put it up, and, you know, you, 20 people will be glad to read it. But I'm playing a game here. Don't give me a script. 
Give me a situation. G give me a precarious power arrangement within the city that I can start poking at to see who I can knock over to watch the whole thing tumble down. Or I don't know, maybe I get back ganked in an alley, backstabbed because I poked the wrong person. That's fine. I'll roll up another one and I'll poke somebody else this time. It's that's fine. that's awesome. Uh, let, let's tie this back into what we were talking about last week. Um, Daddy Warpig in in his rant came uh, basically came within a, a hair of like the ultimate RPG sort of checklist with uh, with Rick Stump, and part of that was uh, interesting comparison we made to sports. If you if you change your frame of reference from games and stories to a sports game, then the emergent nature of the story makes a lot more sense uh, in the context of the real world. What is a sports writer's job? A sports writer's job is to take those results where you mesh people or teams of varying skill and talent and ability together, roll a bunch of random numbers, and at the end of the game, there's a score and a winner and a loser. And the sports writer has to take all that and make a cohesive narrative out of it. Or, you know, a cohesive narrative emerges. And it's the sports writer's job to, you know, tell that story to people who didn't watch the game or, or embellish it, that sort of thing. Uh, anyway, that's, that's one of the conclusions we came to last week. What do you think? That's absolutely right. And, and the metaphor continues because there are a lot of things that happen in the first quarter or inning that you don't realize at the time exactly how important and critical those moments were until the final gun sounds. And then you look back over the, the course of the full 60 minutes or, you know, nine innings and you go, man, you know, it turns out that one, you know, dropped pass in the end zone could have been the difference or that one guy that got injured. We thought that the game was over because the quarterback got injured, but his backup turned out to be even better than he did. Who could have known? And if you stop the story in the first quarter, if that's the way that it, it ends, if the, the, you, so you say in the first quarter, oh, their starting quarterback went down. Well, I guess we know how this is going to go. Well, no, no, no. We, we still need to play out the rest of the game to find out how it's going to go. And then when, when the sports writer sits down, he goes, it turns out this guy getting injured was the best thing that could have happened to the team. Because who knew that, that Joe, nobody sitting on the bench was an all-star quarterback. And that's happened in, in a number of different cases. So, yeah, that's very good. And the other analogy I would use is, I, you know, I wish I'd, speaking as a recovered total dork, I wish I'd been nicer to the jocks. Because when you look at a guy, you know, you look at a couple of meatheads and they're bench pressing and the guy's yelling at the other guy and calling him a wimp and my grandma can push this much weight. And, you know, just just hyping him. It's not because he's being mean. It's not because he's being a jerk. He's trying to motivate you. And he'll say anything it takes to get you to push that PR, that personal record, up off your chest. It's a means of pushing each other. And a lot of the guys, like a lot of the boxers, that, you know, this is it, man. It's two guys in the ring pushing each other to greater heights. And a lot of the guys, despite all the verbiage, they have a heck of a, you know, the, the taunts and all that before the fight, they go outside of the ring and they're good friends because they understand it's just a game. But no, I shouldn't say that. It's not just a game that the 
the, the taunts are part of the game beneath the game. And that game beneath the game should support the game itself whenever possible. And, you know, don't take that game too personally, as long as it's directed toward pushing you to new heights of excellence at the gaming table. It, it, you know, insulting, and this is, it's kind of a guy thing. And that's where the bro SR comes from. I'm going to taunt you until you do the thing that you don't think you're capable of. And then when you do it, there will be no one else in the world that is more happy for you than the guy that was 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 pushing you to do it. Yeah, I called you wimp. That's because I knew you could do it. You didn't know you could do it. And now that you've done it, I have so much more respect for you. That's the bro SR attitude. And a lot of that gets missed by a lot of people because they they don't have that. Um, I, I we don't like to get too political on this show, but it's you know there's that that's a very guy thing. And uh, yeah, I, you know, what we need, a little more testosterone. That's why I say that the most important exercise you can do to improve at the gaming table is push-ups. Yeah, I'm going to go on mute and do some right now. Up my up my <laughs> interview game. Um, okay, so I love that. I want to pull on a couple of other threads that came up. Uh, yeah, you mentioned it's a, it's a guy thing. It is a very masculine thing it's a masculine approach um it's a great way to put it uh it, if the uh just out of curiosity's sake just uh spitballing here what would be a good feminine approach i know there's a there's a few people who say just don't game with girls but uh honestly this is a this is a hobby that anybody can enjoy um any any ideas on what a what a feminine approach might be uh, put away the rule books, put away the dice. Um, you, you fill the sink with warm, soapy water. You grab the dirty dishes and you, okay, I'm, I'm being, <laughs> my, my casual misogyny, I assure you is entirely formal. What would a feminine, well, I see, that's the thing. I don't know that, that a feminine approach is necessary because the feminine approach is literally everything else in the rest of the world. Why would you need to? It, it, it's it's a, it's a sport. Uh, you know, you're you're here to win. There's no there, there's no other approach to it. Is what you're saying? I boy, I don't know. That's a great question. What would a what would you know a what we're feminine gonna, competition yeah. look like? I think I'm gonna have to follow up with uh, with the U.S. women's soccer team to ask them what's the difference between them preparing for a match and uh, and a bunch of guys preparing for a match. Maybe that's the difference. You Maybe. could do that, or you could, or you could ask a team that wins. That would be good. <laughs> let oh, me tell I'm... you what. Let me tell you what I've observed with the women I know who have played role-playing games in their teens and early twenties. Many of them that I know still play role-playing games with their husbands into their forties and fifties. And I'm thinking right now of L. Jeji Lamplighter, who is John C. Wright's wife. She plays role-playing games, and she's a writer. Uh, most of the women I know who still play role-playing games for their life are writers and editors and things like that. A lot of the women I know who play role-playing games are in it for the social activity of hanging out with friends. Um, 
and they like to host role-playing games. And many of them drop out because the game itself doesn't really interest them anymore. Um, that's true of a couple of friends I had. That's true of one of my sisters, the only one who was really into role-playing games. So I'm not saying it's universally true because it's absolutely not, but a lot of a lot of them stop playing role-playing games because they're no longer interested in in the game. They were the game just mostly the, in it for the the social. So I wonder they like I hanging wonder, out with their friends. And there's 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 better ways to just socialize that are less competitive than tabletop. Um, I wonder if, and, and cause I honestly, I, I just, I, I haven't, I don't, I haven't thought about it from a womanish perspective because I'm not a womanish person. I, I wonder if faction play would be the key. Cause I'm thinking back to when live action role play blew up and there was a much higher percentage of, of women participating in that aspect of the hobby. But that was all like the game itself boiled down to rock, paper, scissors was the most game you could get out of it. That the live action role playing was essentially the game beneath the game elevated to the purpose of the game. So that may be the way to go is to develop factions and hierarchies that are purely based on those social constructs. Turn them loose in the live action role playing game. What was the live action role playing game that blew up? It was Vampire. Right. Wasn't it uh, vampires? It vampire. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. why did vampire appeal to women more than say Dungeons and Dragons? Because it because was the social, social combat. Game. Yeah, right. It was a game about social conflict in you know in a city where you had. I mean, there was some physical combat too. Yeah, but it was about these clans struggling for power. And uh, a lot of it was social um, or, uh, you know, you could focus on whichever you chose. And so a lot of uh, female players glommed on to Vampire because it was about social conflicts, not physical conflicts. So what you're saying is that AD&D married to a factional play social combat game is the perfect union from which the children of wonderful campaigns can be conceived. Daddy Warpig, you're a genius. I can't believe no one thought of this before. The, 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 the AD&D with the faction play is the synthesis of masculine and feminine, and it's the apotheosis of role-playing games, and we've had it since almost day one. How awesome is this hobby? <laughs> there is I'd no like other hobby like it. I, it's it's it was a little little uh, I don't know fanciful, but uh, I can't disagree with your premise there. I love it. Um, well, we're we're trying to sell people on an idea here, and it's an idea that you can be more than you realize. And so, yeah, if we get a little bombastic, 
It's because we're, we're trying to sell people on themselves. And hey, the, the people trying to push product, hey, here's another hardcover book for $59.95 that'll change the way you play D&D. And don't worry, I'll have a follow-up volume next year, the second edition of Revised Errata, that will also fix all of your problems. And then probably a third one after that. Well, that, that kind of parallels with every six months you need an injection of my uh, of my D&D wisdom in order to, to be healthy. That parallels something. Uh-huh. I can't quite yeah, put my finger is. on it, so we'll just kind of move on. Let's let's it, keep it, the YouTube channel rolling. Uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, no, that's a really uh, that's an excellent point. That um, and now put this in perspective of board games. Like if you have that sort of relationship uh, where you know the couple wants to play, you have friends over, and uh, all right, I'm going to bring in Bradford Walker. Um, he's been a scholar uh, the past these past couple of weeks here. The normal approach to games is not gaming, but games, they're not there to game. They're there to socialize, and the game is background noise. If you've got that sort of situation, um, you don't have to buy any product. As wonderful as I think European-style board games are, and I think everybody should try them out, all you need is a deck of cards. Like, what have we been doing for centuries? A deck of cards and a bottle of brandy and, you know, some old friends playing around. Play spades, pinochle, whatever. Euchre. Yeah, I was I was astonished at how many people were playing euchre, and and it was like, you you know, there's no well, that's a that's a rant for a whole different day, but but it was it was I I remember thinking this game is so simple, you don't need to think while you're while you're playing it, and and I was now this is you know seventeen year old socially maladroit John speaking, why are we doing this thing that takes no effort? This is just busy work. So that we can talk. And it wasn't until, you know, a patient, you know, Jock pulled me aside and went, you figured it out, man. They don't want to think about the game. They want to talk and they just want something to do with their hands. They want to feel like they're doing something intellectual while they're doing the talk. And they want to feel like they're talking strategy, even though there's like only 12 different things that you do. And, um, you know, they want to be a little bit surprised by the randomness, but not too surprised. And I was like, Oh, okay. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. That's kind of what a lot of people do with D&D too, right? They, they're the guys that aren't really paying attention. They're kind of poking at their phone. You give them a nudge and go, hey, it's, it's your turn in the initiative order. Oh, right. Yeah, I swing my sword. And they're good with that. It's a big hobby. Mm-hmm. I guess there's room for them. Uh, but no, that makes that makes perfect sense. You know, we're so, here to socialize. And and that's a big part of it. Yeah. I want to uh, I want to jump back to the pulp rev for just half a second. Um if you want to look at the difference between masculine and feminine troubleshooting or um, adventuring, you look at the difference between the Conan stories and the C.L. Moore stories. Um, her stories with uh, the redhead uh, fighter, whose name I can't remember right now. I'm ashamed. Um are you thinking Red Sonia? No, no, Black God's Kiss. Yeah, Black uh, God's Kiss and, and all of those. Um, don't we have a comment section for this? Yeah. Uh, Jarell of Joyry. Yes, Jarell of Joyry. She, uh, all of her stories are, despite her being a warrior and wearing armor and carrying a sword, all of her stories are about social things, social events. They're social problems that get solved in a very feminine way. Um, 
And so even though some of them involve physical combat, they're, they're very social, they're very feminine oriented. Whereas Conan is a very direct, muscular, you know, masculine solutions to his problems. So if you want to look at what the difference between a uh, masculine role-playing game and a feminine role-playing game would be, you compare those two stories, and there is a reason why. Conan's stories are listed in Appendix N, and Gerald of Jory's stories are not, and there's a reason why. When this came up between me and Jeffro, I said, no, Gerald of Jory should not be part of Appendix N. People shouldn't add it to Appendix N because it's not AD&D. It is great mm. stories. I love them, but they're not AD&D stories. Because AD&D is... Uh, it's a it's a masculine oriented game. It's an adventure oriented game. It's about you know uh, action adventure stories. Uh, it's uh, not unless, about unless if but it based on the discussion we've had today, the Jarell of Joyry stories are that that more feminine faction play, right? In Black God's Kiss, her kingdom is overthrown. So she journeys through hell to give a kit. I mean, it's right there. I'm not spoiling it. it also, it's 80 years old. It's right yeah. there in the title. She goes to give a black god a kiss, and that gives her the power to 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 beat her enemies. Okay, now I owe the guy a thing, and I'm there's I, we got to do a sequel because now I owe him a favor, kind of thing. Um, so maybe they do from that perspective, Daddy. Well, I you can do a lot of things in AD and D that aren't part of the you know, original inspiration for AD&D that aren't part of the direct inspiration for it. And I'm not saying that's wrong. I'm just saying that that the game itself, as predicated in the books that show up in Appendix N, uh, are, is a very masculine-oriented game, which is, you know, to be expected. It came from wargaming. And wargaming is, uh, sure. you know, very masculine um very masculine hobby i mean that's what it sure. um and and someone can come along and start saying world war ii blah 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 german you know u-boats uh wargaming women fine you know that's true you know women who were running the u-boat simulations and coming up with these uh coming up with these strategies that turned out to be true. Yeah, they were women and, and they were doing doing a good job. I'm this, not saying women can't play masculine games. This um, go, Hey, this goes back to the very beginning. If you look at the actual title of Little Wars written by H.G. Wells, the, the subtitle, it's Little Wars colon. And it's, I'm, I'm, I'm not quoting verbatim here, but it's something along the lines of Battle games for young boys and the very clever sort of girls, too, right? Yeah. Like, like it's in there. It's this is for boys and also the exceptional women, which, which is again, it's not a judgmental thing. It's it just says that you know this is a a, a pastime that is going to predominantly appeal to one kind of person, the masculine, and you know there are masculine women. That's fine, right? They, yeah. Okay, bring your tomboy girlfriend along. That if you have one, God bless you for it. Bring them along. Yeah, and this, see, we're doing the thing. I got to validate everybody. The exception does not invalidate the rule. So, uh, yeah, role playing games. Yeah. 
primarily appealed to men and uh, a subsection of women, which is fine. That That's not putting women down. That's not putting down women who want to play role-playing games down. Please come in, join the hobby. We're fine with that. Um, so, you know, and, and faction play in AD&D where you have, you know, let's say you're playing at a scene, which we did in my campaign where uh, I met John, where uh, they, for one scene, they were, instead of, you know, fighting ogres and whatnot, uh, they walked around trying to make connections uh, at this big ball where they were being celebrated for having saved the city from something. And they were trying to get allies for something else. Um, great. You know, that kind of scene would appeal more to female players than male players. That doesn't mean it didn't appeal to the male players because they had a lot of fun in it. Um, but yeah, uh, those kinds of social things tend to appeal more to the female players than male players. Not a problem. And faction play, yeah, faction play where you're part of a faction and you're, you know, struggling with other factions for power in a city, sometimes via combat, sometimes via, you know, uh, soft power. Um, like that Gerald of Jory story, she couldn't beat him with hard power, so she had to think laterally into it via, via soft power. That's a more female approach, and that's an approach that, uh, you know, Lateral thinking, that's a more female approach. Soft power is a more female approach. You can do things in games that will appeal to female players. And some games are set up like that from the beginning. Um, I don't have a, I'm not saying that's wrong at all. I really don't want to come out and say that's wrong. Uh, that's just one of the things that LARPing, why that got so many females involved at the beginning because of vampire because of the way vampire was predicated um and you can absolutely do that in ad and d uh and it's fine it doesn't have to be uh um it doesn't have to be all physical combat all the time i love it all right yeah, let's uh, let's start winding down. I, I I'm gonna leave all the dangling threads for another day. Um, before we wrap up, Daddy Warpig, uh, last chance to ask more questions of John, Mister Wargaming, Mollison here. I don't have any questions for him. I just wanted to give him a chance to, if he had any further comments on stuff, let him run with it. That was that was my next thing. Uh, just uh, what what else do you want to talk about? Yeah, one other thing that I think was, is worth talking about is the illusion of control that we have. There's a there's an oddity within the hobby that we central to most of these games is some kind of randomizing element, whether it's cards or dice or um, just simply other players. Uh, embrace the chaos because it's from with the, it, it's the, the the pleasure is making order out of that chaos. And uh, that would be the first thing I would say is that, that people need to let go of the, the, the illusion of control. When you're sitting down with five other people, everybody gets a vote and things are not going to go the way they want that you want them to. They're not going to go the way you plan. 
No plan survives first contact with the enemy, and no plan survives any contact with the players. That's great. That's part of the fun. You got you, We got to embrace that. If things don't go the way you, you wanted them to, find a way to enjoy it. It's a great skill to have in life. It's a great skill to have at the table. Oh, that didn't go the way I wanted it to. All right. What do we do next? Uh, don't sit around moping because your, your grand epic plan blew up in your face. It's always going to do that. In fact, name a good heist movie where the heist goes off perfect. And I'll, and I'll name a bad heist movie because the best heist movies always get to the halfway point and then something unexpected happens and they're scrambling to cobble together success out of a busted plan. That's gaming gold. Embrace those things. The other thing I would say is get off the treadmill of supplements. You don't need other people to create for you. You need a little bit of framework and that's what the rules provide. But you are capable of so much more creativity than you can imagine, particularly when you do what we just talked about, embrace the illusion and control. Let other people start throwing their ingredients into your stone soup, and it's going to taste awful. Or, hey, here's the other thing. Maybe it tastes terrible. And you go, oh, well, let's not do that again. Let's be a little more careful next time. That's a learning experience. It's valuable. It's not a waste of time. Every failure you make is another step on the way to success. And if you want to have a truly memorable fantastic campaign whether it's role-playing games tabletop or if you want to have that amazing game of i don't know settlers of Catan, embrace the unexpected in the wild because the 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 world is so much more amazing when you accept it as it is and when you embrace that chaos and there's so much more satisfaction in taking chaos and making something beautiful out of it than there is in trying to force things where they don't fit. So those are the other two kind of messages that I bring to the joy of war gaming. It's on the YouTube and I'm sure there'll be a link somewhere. And if not, just look up, you know, obnoxious game show hosts. Yeah. I should be at the top the, of the list. Links in the description. Links in the description already. Joy of war gaming on YouTube. Right. You, you guys are the best. Thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. Uh, it's always great. Um, this uh, fantastic. This is like the university of learning about gaming and RPG. Um, every, every time we do a show like this, um, I learn a lot and, uh, we get some genius insight from, uh, people like you and Daddy Warpig. Um, DW, last opportunity to ask any oh, questions. And the guys in the comments, hey, don't leave them out, right? Because I'm just going through the comments right now. There's some gold in there, man. I'm totally stealing. Oh, yeah. Bradford, I'm stealing some of that stuff. It's going into the Joy of Wargaming and I may or may not credit you. So just be warned. You put it out yeah, there. I'm stealing it. Thanks for mentioning it. I I haven't had time to keep up with chat because of all the all the good content here. But big thanks to Bradford Walker, John Dacre, Rawl. Good luck on your one to one time game. I hope your uh, normie gamer friends love it. Uh, Jeffro, of course, is hanging out in the chat. Uh, Purple Druid, yeah, we're starting strong. We're finishing strong. We got the best team on YouTube. Kaiyu Khan, good to see you. Haven't seen you in a while. Glad you're here. Um, Fiona Wolf, glad we're helping out with your writing duties. Uh, just keep talking to the Brosar guys. You'll figure out how to write men uh, better and better. Sven Sorensen, thanks for hanging out. Uh, it's It's been so good to have everybody chatting about this uh, this week. And I hope everybody listening later, including myself, I'm going to go back through this episode and maybe the last two for nuggets of gaming wisdom. Uh, listen to these. I hope everybody really enjoyed it. Uh, but once again, thanks so much for coming on. This was a lot of fun for me. Me too. Uh, and thanks. Yeah, I'm signing off. And guys, remember, I'm praying for you. Oh, thanks. 
I also want to uh, thank Rancid for showing up in the comments uh, or in the live chat. So uh, we don't want to miss him either. Oh, yeah. Um, Look at that. That's it. We're done for today. All right. Thanks for everybody showing up, listening live. Thanks, everyone, who's going to listen later. Uh, you can catch us just about every week, just about this time, on uh, youtube.com slash geekgabs, youtube.com slash geekgab, or you can get us on the uh, Apple iTunes store, soundcloud.com, or the Google Play store to uh, download on the device of your choice. Thanks for tuning in, folks. We are signing off for today, but don't you worry. Don't you fret. We will be back.